thank you so much. Turn in your Bibles today to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, we're going to be starting in verse uh, 10, or reading verse 10 as our text, and then we'll glance back uh, at the remainder of that text. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Please feel free to follow along whatever version of the Bible that you have there or on any uh, electronic devices you might have. There's also Bibles in the backs of your pews. Amen. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife or a virtuous woman for her worth is far above rubies? I want to speak to you today on the subject the one woman army, the one woman army. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to touch us, Lord, right now. We want to, we need to, we desire to hear from you today. And we're praying, God, that you would lift our hearts and minds to a higher place and speak to us, Lord, in the depths of our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you love your mama, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Who can find a virtuous woman? That word virtuous kind of sounds uh, kind of like my tie today, a little bit flowery, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of, kind of sounds maybe not weak, but somewhat sentimental, virtuous. And it's a good word, a person that's full of virtue. I, however, I did just a little bit of research on that Hebrew word that's used there. The word is kayil, and, and here's what it means. Fifty-one times in the King James Version of the Bible, that word virtuous, fifty-one times, is translated army. Thirty-seven times it's translated valor. Twenty-eight times host, or another word for army. Fourteen forces, twelve times strength, eleven times riches, ten times wealth. Nine times power, seven times substance, six times might, five times strong, and five times valiantly, four times able, four times armies, plural, three times virtuous, two times as a band, and then various times as goods, war, activity, company, host, mighty, soldiers, trained, valiant, tests, virtuously, worthily. Worthy, that's a wealth of understanding in that one word, virtuous. That it's not just a word that indicates moral correctness, although it does. It doesn't just uh, indicate, you know, kind of ethical rectitude, although it does. It's all of those things, but it's all of those things not in a passive sense. You know, you think maybe sometimes of a person that's virtuous, and you just see them sitting in a in a you know a church all the time with a halo around their head, with their hands folded and their eyes closed, and somehow that's what it means to be virtuous is to be kind of passive and inactive. But that's not what this word means. This is a word that carries with it all of those highest and best uh, platitudes that have to do with living good and right and moral and excellent and all of those things. And a person that has all of those good qualities, but it's a person that has those in a, in a way that is active, in a way that is forthful, a way that is strong. 
The story of humanity, indeed the story of salvation, is the story of women. It's the story of strong women, godly women, great women, and great and godly mothers. Remember that history is also her story. That the pages of history and the pages of the Word of God are lined with women that both as wives and mothers and as prophetesses and as judges and as all of those things. It's the story of women that God has used in a mighty way. Women that necessarily did not seek fame or fortune, didn't seek independence in that sense of the word, but sought to be what God called them to be and God used them mightily. Uh, you've probably heard a phrase from this poem before William Ross Wallace uh, wrote back in the 1800s, Blessings on the hand of women, angels guard its strength and grace in the pallage, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place, would that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission, here upon our natal sod, Keep, oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Isn't that true? That the things that we learn at mother's knee are the things that uh, so often guide us through life. Now here in a few weeks we're going to celebrate Father's Day. And I have a little bit of a problem that sometimes fathers are devalued, but here's something I've kind of observed through life is that there are many things that are caught from what we see daddy do, but they are taught to us at the knee of the mother. That mother's the one that has that influence. I could illustrate this kind of strength, this kind of virtuosity that women hold and that mothers hold by using the great women of the Bible. I could talk to you about Eve, Eve that was called the mother of all living, Eve the first woman, Eve the first mother, Eve who it was said to her that even though her and Adam both had sinned that she would be saved in childbearing and it was to Eve that the promise was that there's going to be an enmity between your seed and the seed of the devil and you're, he's going to bruise his heel but you're going to crush his head. And a lot of people give uh, Eve a bad time because of the garden I incident and both her and Adam were sinful and, and sinned. But listen to me, the Father designed it, the Heavenly Father designed it that it was through the woman that the seed of woman would come. It was through woman that salvation would come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about Sarah, who though she was both barren and advanced in years, received the promise of God, the son of promise, Isaac. We think about Hannah. Hannah was the lady that couldn't have children, and she wept and she cried, and so intense was her hurt that no words wouldn't come out. She just mouthed the words, and Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk, and when he discovered her great agony he said God's going to answer your prayer and she had uh, the great prophet the last of the uh, judges the first the prophet Samuel and she said this about him because the Lord's blessed me with the son 
I'm going to give him back to the Lord. And when he was uh, uh, grown enough, probably around six years old or so, she took him to uh, the tabernacle and let him live there in the service of God. But all year long she would knit for him and sew for him a little coat so that she could take him that coat when she saw him once a year. We think about Ritzpah. Now, Ritzpah's uh, unique because she's a, she's a concubine, and her name meant a, a red-hot stone. Ritzpah was the last of the red-hot mamas. But Ritzpah was the one that when her sons were hung out to dry by the Gibeonites, she stayed out there through months, uh, whether it was uh, the rain, the cold, the heat. She stayed out there for months and kept the buzzards away from the bodies of her boys. And then there is that, probably the greatest of all mothers, Mary, who was chosen to be the mother of our Lord. And we've got a lot more clarity about what was going on with Mary than she did. She had to walk by faith, and yet that thing that was born of her was the Son of the Most High. I could point to history to great mothers. I remember hearing about Monica, Monica had a son that was wayward and he was an alcoholic and he was a partier and he, he uh, just went from uh, one uh, relationship to another. He was very promiscuous and she was so burdened for him that she went to her pastor and she went to him over and over again and she said, Pastor, you've got to do something to help me with my boy. And finally, sick and tired of it, she had just been wearied with it. He finally said, Monica, it's impossible that the son of such tears would be lost. And of course, her son was a, a young man named Augustine. We know him as St. Augustine or St. Augustine, one of the great church fathers. And then there is that great woman, Susanna. Susanna had 19 children. Unfortunately, uh, nine of them died in infancy. Uh, she had been through a lot. They endured two fires. Her husband, who was a pastor, but her and her husband didn't get along real well. They were separated for a while. And she wrote to her husband during that time of separation. She said, I am not a man nor a minister, yet as, I, as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observed the following method. I take such a portion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. On Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. And it was said of her, Susanna Wesley, by the way, the mother of Charles and John Wesley, although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, it is, she is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because two of her sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, as children consciously or unconsciously will, applied the example and the teachings and circumstances of their home life. There's a lot of places I could turn to illustrate to you this Proverbs 31 woman. But I prefer today, and since I've got the mic, I guess it's okay. I prefer today to talk to you about mothers that I have known. And you'll just have to forgive me for celebrating the mothers that have been in my life, but I hope by extension you can apply it to the mothers that have been in your life. There are some preachers that think Proverbs 31 is too high and lofty of a goal for women to ascribe to. 
And so they say that Proverbs 31 is a composite of all different kinds of women, all different kinds of wives, all different kinds of mothers. They say nobody can be all of those things, and so it's a composite. But I don't agree with that. I believe instead of a composite, I believe what it is is it's an ideal. I believe it's what an ideal wife, mother, and woman should look like. Now, to varying degrees, some people are going to have strengths and weaknesses. There are some areas that you're going to be. Some women are just more domesticated than others. They just know how to cook better than others know how to cook. They just have a proclivity for organization that others don't have. Some women have a great mind for business that other women don't have. So we're not trying to pigeonhole anybody, but we're saying to varying degrees, these are the attributes that a woman should have. And so I'm going to tell you about that. First of all, uh, this lesson could be entitled, Lessons My Mother Taught Me. Because the very first sentence in Proverbs 31, the Bible says that King Lemuel, they're the words of King Lemuel, which we think is Solomon, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. In other words, he said, I learned how to be a king, not from my daddy, but from my mama. I learned how to be a man from my mama. If you want to raise princes, if you want to raise king, if you want to raise men, if you want to raise princesses and queens and and uh, and and all of and women that are strong, then it starts with mama. She taught him how. Mama taught it, and I caught it from daddy. First of all, we have her worth. Proverbs 3, 10, 31, 10 through 12. Who can find a virtuous wife for her? A worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her, so we will have no need of lack or of, of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. When you can find a woman that is trustworthy, that is worthy of trust, that you can rely on. We're not necessarily talking about the proclivities that somebody has. People have different slants and abilities and all those things. What we're talking about is the priority that she has. It doesn't mean that all mamas act alike or look alike or have the same abilities. What it means is that a good mama has the same priorities. And if you can find one with the right priorities, the price is far above rubies. So you have her worth, then you have her work. And I've delegated this to three categories. First of all, there is busyness. Not business, but busyness. Proverbs 31, 13 uh, through uh, verse 15. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. A godly woman is not a busy body, but they are a body that's busy. They're active doing things. Now, I can honestly tell you, my mother sitting here, that one of the when I smell bleach, I think of mama. When I smell bleach, I think of my mother's hands. I can't tell you, even now, when I go to her house, how many times that I might lean down and kiss her on the hand and I smell bleach. And so I wrote a little poem about that. Mother's hands always smelled of bleach because it got clean if it was in her reach. 
She taught me it may not be new, but it can be clean and all the many different things that that can mean. Her hands smelled like honest hard work and responsibility that one should never shirk. It showed me how many of life's problems would cease with a little application and some elbow grease. It spoke of the way she chose to live, to give it your all if that's all you have to give, and that your life could be pure and pristine if you'd make your ways holy and clean. It reminds me of God's gracious plan to clean up all the messes of man. He took a substance with more force than a flood and washed away sin with one drop of blood. I watched my mother day after day and I listened to all the wise things that she should say, but I learned so many lessons that she had to teach by the smell of her hands all covered with bleach. Mama laid her hands to the distaff and then not only does it just say, and there's some people have such a limited view of what biblical womanhood looks like and they would confine it just to that part of busyness but can I tell you that Proverbs 31 not only describes a woman that is involved in busyness but a woman that's involved in business because here's what it says Proverbs 31 16 through uh, 19 she considers a field and buys it from her prophet she plants a vineyard she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Well, I brought it with me today, but I left it on my, on my desk. But in my, just in my office there, I have something that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. It's a little wooden spool that at one time had thread on it, just a wooden spool. After my grandmother, my mother's mother, passed away, we went over into her house that had been cleaned out and was ready to be rented, and we, we went through there, and just lying on the floor in one of the bedrooms, there was a, a little object, and I picked it up, and it was a wooden spool. And it just spoke to me of who my Nana Smith was. So again, I wrote this little poem about her business. A hidden treasure rests upon a shelf, a nothing to no one but myself, not a diamond or gold or ruby shimmering red, just an old forgotten wooden spool of thread. Nana sewed with her own two wrinkled hands, clothed as fine as any tailor in far exotic lands. Her children knew no lack and the cold held no dread, for they were clothed with love, sewed with a wooden spool of thread. My mother was taught to walk with shoulders square, yet not exhibit too much pride in skin or eyes or hair, but to go through life and lift high her head with homespun clothes made with a wooden spool of thread. Papa worked hard with hands all smeared with grease, and the struggles of raising a family never seemed to cease. So Nana took in sewing to help keep the family fed with a few old scraps of fabric and a wooden spool of thread. Nana's gone on to rest up in the sky, and when I look at this old spool, I feel her presence now. Perhaps when life is ended and I finally am dead, my spotless robe will be sewn with Nana's golden spool of thread. She was a woman that worked hard with her hands, and if that meant taking in sewing to help make the budget, make the bills, that's what she did. So there is the busyness of women there's the business of women and then there is the blessing of women Proverbs 31 and 20 she extends her hand to the poor yes she reaches out her hands to the needy she's a blessing 
Now I realize that when we have a Mother's Day presentation that there are ladies that have not been blessed with biological children and it's a difficult day for them. My mom and dad and Nana, of course, remember and, and James, I know you remember very well, James Harrell. Nana Peavy sitting there had a great aunt who was a lady pastor, Eva Carver. And Aunt Eva never had any biological children, but she had hundreds of spiritual children that were blessed through her preaching and her teaching and her pastoring. And she was known, and she was a fireball of a, of a preacher. But I'm going to tell you, she was as known for what happened in her kitchen as what happened in the pulpit. There were literally thousands of people that were fed around her table. In fact, there would be people that would show up, and she'd say, come on in, because she understood that it was her responsibility to extend her hands to the needy. Starting in verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestries for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and the supplies uh, sashes for the servant, for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She rejoices in a time to come. I think of my wife Crystal. And uh, Crystal and I, the first week we met, we were already talking about how we viewed family life. I've always been slow that way. And, and Crystal, whenever we got married, she changed what she was going to major in in college to become a teacher because she thought and felt that if I could have the same hours as my children and have the same vacation time as my children. And so she actually changed what her major would have been because of children that she wouldn't have for years to come. And she actually found her life's work in doing that. She was a born teacher. But she came to that because of children that she wouldn't have for several years down the road. And then when we had Cameron, Crystal put her career on hold for about six or seven years so she could be at home with our children when they were small. Because what our children learn in the first six or seven years of their life they learn the values that are going to accompany them through life. Those are the formative years. And so Crystal is going to be working long after her contemporaries are retired because she delayed that. And then I love what the Bible says when it says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. When I saw my wife walked the stage. In fact, when she graduated with her doctorate, she almost said, you know, it's too much to go down there and do all of that kind of stuff. In fact, she went down and, and, and you know, they, they split it up. On the evening, they received their hood, and the next day they received their degree, and I got, I got sick. I got a, nothing against anybody, but, but don't buy uh, pepperoni from the dollar store. 
And if you do, check the date. Because I got food poisoning, and oh, I was so sick. I mean, I was extremely sick. And she said, you know what, you're sick. I don't have to walk the stage to graduate. And I said, no, Crystal, I need this. I need this. And she walked that stage and received her doctorate. I didn't sit there and resent that. I felt like that her victory was my victory. I felt like that her accomplishment in some way was my accomplishment. I felt that the glory that she was receiving was reflecting back on me. You know, it's a, it's a weak man that has to keep his wife down to make himself look good. And yes, I do believe in the traditional roles of men and women. I believe that the Bible teaches them. And I do believe in the headship of the male in the home. That's what the Bible teaches but I also know that what Proverbs 31 teaches is not that women are just to be barefoot and pregnant. That it says they've got a mind and that mind can be used. And when it's used, it causes her husband to be known in the gates. And then there is her wisdom. Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. And I thought about my Nana Peavy. I learned two things from my Nana Peavy. I learned how to party and I learned how to pray. Because Nana Peavy has always liked to party. And when I go over to her house and my brothers are a good bit older, we'd go over to her house and mom and dad and my brothers were there. Nobody else would want to go have a little picnic out, of, out under the dogwood tree. But me and Nana would go and have a little picnic under the dogwood tree and everybody else was party poopers. She knew how to say, even to this day, she loves a party better than anybody I've ever seen. But I also remember staying in her house and getting to missing her and go from door to door and find a door locked and listening in through the door and her praying and crying out to God, agonizing to God. On her tongue is the law of kindness. Verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I thought of my mother-in-law, Darlene. Darlene is a homemaker. Now, I hope she's not watching this because I'll get in trouble. When I say that she's a homemaker, I don't mean that you take a picture of her home and it looked like it's a better home than garden. What I mean by it is this, and I don't like the term housewife, but I love the term homemaker. Because the woman's not married to the house, she's married to her husband. But it does take a woman to make a house a home. And my mother-in-law was a homemaker because my wife moved at least a dozen times as she was growing up. Her dad was in education and, and, and was a coach and an educator, and they moved from town to town to town. And it didn't matter whether it was a little rental home, it didn't matter what kind of arrangement it was, my mother-in-law could go into that house and somehow magically make it home for her children. She made it fun. What, what color do you want to paint the bedroom? It didn't matter if it was a, it didn't matter if it looked like the inside of my jacket. Her children could do that because she could make a house a home. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And that brings us to this, her worship. Verse 30, charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It's what holds all of it together is a love and a respect for the Lord. I told you about those bleach-covered hands. I just had to bring her hands up one more time. That's a picture of Mom, I think, at her and Dad's 50th anniversary, I think it was. Maybe it was one Christmas, I really don't remember, but we were singing, and Crystal caught a shot of her with her hands lifted in worship. And I thought about those hands lifted in worship. I jotted down these words. Words cannot convey nor can the pen reveal the debt of love and gratitude within my heart I feel. For your hands so dear, always there to guide and comfort and cheer. Hands with fingers that scrubbed till they bled. Hands that so tenderly cleaned and sewed and fed. Hands that healed and soothed the fever brow. Hands folded in prayer and lifted in worship now. Years of time cannot erase nor the marks of age disguise the glimmer in your smile or the light in your eyes. Eternity will expose was part of the master's plan to reveal his love to me through your own two precious hands. And then finally there is the wealth of the woman. Proverbs 31, 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And one of these days, Mama, when you get inside the gates, the pearly gates, there's going to be a reward waiting you which the Lord himself shall give. And it'll be the fruit of your hands. The things that were eternal. It's sad that we live in a day where the self-sacrifice of wives and mothers is devalued. In fact, what the world often paints as empowerment is really just selfishness disguised as ambition. But when you think of mama, you don't think about how mama went out and did everything she could to promote herself. You think of the times that mama labored and sacrificed and did without for you. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Well, Pam, her and her husband were missionaries in the Philippines. And she contracted what was called amoebic dysentery. She had gotten a hold of something in the water that had caused her to be sick in her stomach. And she had taken medication. And then she found out that she was pregnant. And the doctor said, you know, that's just a mass of tissue. And the and the medicines probably damaged it. I would advise for your health 
that you just uh, go ahead and have an abortion. But Pam said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust the Lord. And her and her husband prayed to the Lord, and they said, Lord, if you will allow us to have a healthy son born, we'll call him Timothy, and we'll make him a preacher. And, of course, she carried him to term, and Timothy was born. And God did make him a preacher of sorts. He goes on mission trips and goes into prisons and has a national platform. The lady's name is Pam Tebow, and her son is Tim Tebow. Heisman winner, former NFL player, current baseball player, and of course he's on TV. Now we have something in common. They thought his, his, his siblings used to call him Timmy the Tumor. And you found out the other night at my birthday party that they first thought, the doctor first thought that I was a tumor. So I have something in common with Tim Tebow. Can't you see the resemblance? But when Tim Tebow signed with the NFL that Christmas, when he finally had money, he bought his mama a pendant that went on a gold chain that was a key. And his siblings said, ah, oh, he's giving you the key to his heart. He said, no, mama, it's not what that represents. I want you to know that all the success that I've had, you were the key. You were the key to my success. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Mama, a one-woman army. Now listen. It's proper and appropriate for us to refer to God as Father and for us to use pronouns in referencing God because that's what the Bible uses. And if God chose to reveal himself that way to man, it's not for up to us to change that. That's the, those are the pronouns that God used. But the Bible also tells us that God is not just some exalted human in the sky. He's spirit. And the Bible tells us that when God made humanity, he made both male and female in his image. And that means that the wonderful attributes that we see in mama are attributes that come from God. That the tenderness and the love that we feel toward mama reach, reach its zenith when we have that relationship with the Lord. Oh yeah, he's powerful. He's a powerful warrior. But he's also like a tender mother. In Isaiah 66, 13 and 14, it says, I will comfort you like a mother comforting her child. You'll be comforted in Jerusalem. When you see these things, you'll be happy. The Lord says, if you want to be happy, let me be your father. 
and let me be your mother. And all of those wonderful things that you think about when you think of mama, all of that's an expression of the love of God. Boy, I thank God for the strength and the power of fathers. But there's something about the, the tender strength of mama that reflects the grace and the glory of God. Is it not? Would you stand across the building today? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we have tried, Lord, to the best of our ability today to reflect the grace of God revealed to us through our mothers. I'm praying, God, if there's one under the sound of my voice today that does not know you, that you would let that tenderness that they feel, Lord, let them transfer that, God, to you because you're reaching out to them in grace and love. In fact, God, one of the words in your scripture that's used for mercy is the same word that's used for wound. That we grow and reach our full potential only in the mercy of God. Lord, draw people to yourself in Jesus' name. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Those of you that know the love of God, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, lift your hand today. Praise God.